Welcome to Biz Buys on New Radio Media. I'm your host, Armin Nazarian, and I got with me today Paul Haba and Joe Barbera, both brokers with Locations Commercial Services. How are you guys doing today? Very good. Yourself? Good. Great, Armin. Good. So we're going to be talking about um, you know business brokerage and what's going on in, in Michigan with buyers, sellers, and... Um, you know, the whole marketplace on, on, on independent and franchise businesses. Joe, let's start with you. So why are people buying businesses? Well, there's several reasons. Uh, a couple of main ones are uh, most people that are looking to purchase a business or are looking for a lifestyle change. Uh, either they're uh, unhappy with what they're doing currently in life, you know, for a living. Right. And... Uh, Usually they pursue something, you know, that they've always wanted to do. Like, for instance, uh, you know, we had one individual that always wanted to get into uh, the restaurant business, you know. And uh, he had a change of uh, ownership of uh, the company he did work for. And uh, he says, you know, now's the time to make a move. Good, good. Um, uh, Paul, let's go to you. Uh, is there a better time of the year to buy a business? Summer, winter, is it seasonal? Uh, what do you see with, uh, with, uh, with buyers or sellers wanting to sell quicker? Well, you know, it all depends on the industry. Uh, if you're buying a tanning salon, it's probably better to buy in the winter. If you're buying a dry cleaners, it's also probably better to buy it in the winter versus the summer because in the wintertime, people are wearing suits, right. ties. More wash and wear stuff there. Exactly, exactly. But, uh, yeah, I mean... There's really no good time to buy. It just depends on the type of business you're buying. And uh, if you're buying a restaurant, like I have a restaurant background myself, uh, restaurants typically, depending on what type of restaurant, if it's a pizzeria that delivers, you're probably going to be busier in the wintertime because nobody wants to leave their house. Uh, If it's a a dine-in restaurant with, you know, you're counting on that walk-in traffic, it's probably better to buy that in the spring. And then it carries over to the summer and the fall. And uh, those are probably the be, be the busiest times. Right. So, you know, to answer your question, there's really no good time to buy. Um, I do know that the market right now is on fire. Uh, the houses are on fire, supply and demand. Uh, we're starting to see that with businesses as well. Uh, sellers are a little bit more reluctant to let go of their business because they see the economy turning right, around. Right, right. And, uh you know, it's getting harder to make that deal now. Right. And I understand we're selling a livelihood, right? So when you're selling Absolutely. a business, you're selling a livelihood. Absolutely. So we're always going to be, or people are going to be buying and selling a business no matter how the market is. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Good. Um, are there buying, so the reasons are buying businesses are for what? It could be for um, downsizing, maybe corporate America downsizing is it, or... Um, you know, adding on, supplementing their income? Do you see more professional people getting into buying an independent business or a franchise? Or I do. I do. I, lately, I've been seeing calls uh, from professionals, attorneys, doctors, uh, engineers looking for a way to invest. And sometimes the stock market is not always the best way because uh, it's so volatile. Sure. And, um, you know, a lot of times I get calls. Obviously, they're first-time buyers. They don't know the industry. You know, I had a gentleman the other day call me on a pizzeria, and he's uh, he's an engineer. And I said, well, do you have any experience in the in the field? And he said, well, I do know that the, the business looks like it makes really good money, 
Right. Uh, that's about it. And sometimes you got to educate these buyers so they don't make the wrong decision and the wrong investment at that. Right. So, and he's got no restaurant experience. No restaurant experience. So all uh, new to him. I had a really good talk with him. Very nice guy. Um, I think at the end of our conversation, the way we left it is, it's probably not a good fit for him. Right. Because I asked him, what's the plan B if your staff decides to quit? You don't know the business, you're going to lose it. So Time for an exit strategy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Good. Um, what kind of business are people buying, Joe, would you say? Is it... Um... You know, it, it varies. Uh, right now, we're seeing a, a lot in the healthcare industry, okay. like uh, adult foster care homes. Um, you know, we have a, a, a franchise uh, assisted living that actually sends uh, individuals out to the house right. to help people uh, elderly, or not necessarily elderly, but, but people are sick or ill that, you know, they're, they can't depend on uh, themselves. Just need a little bit more help. Correct. Help yeah. them out and everything. Um, so I guess this question is for both of you guys. What would be the first step for a buyer wanting to buy a business, never bought a business before? What would be the first step? Well, that's I mean, easy. Call a broker. Call a business broker. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Beat me to it, Joe. <laughs> call a broker. Do your due diligence. Do your homework. Uh, make what, would sure. be, what, what would be the steps, Paul? So you, you, you run ads. Um, do you put addresses out on the ads where I can, or the buyer can drive by and take a look at it like a house, or is it how? What's the process that we take? Absolutely not. Uh, when it comes to buying a business, it's a little different than buying a home. Uh, it's completely confidential. Um, you don't want to run into a situation where you're putting your address and the name of your business out there. Because, why is that? Why? How can why keep you it know uh, employees? Are probably the main reason, uh, you know, competition. Your customers. Your competition. As well. Your customers. I can see you don't want the competition to see. Mainly, if there. your employees find out you're for sale, they probably start thinking, "Oh, it's time to find a new job because we're going to be fired as soon as this business sells." And that's usually not the case. Reality is the buyer of the business wants to keep the employees. Absolutely correct, and the it's, employees want to stay. Yeah, it's about ninety percent retention. Uh, but that being said, you know. Employees, for the lack of better words, like some type of job security. Mm -hmm. And by keeping it confidential, they're unaware that the business is for sale. Right. When the new owner comes in and takes over, it's a much more smoother transitionary period due to the fact that employees are still there. Impressed. Good. And employees, they, they pretty much stay. Yeah, 90% of, of them, them do. Um, if they do leave, it's, you know, it's for a variety of reasons. But... Uh, uh, the majority, I'd say 90% do stay on. And 90% of the buyers retain the original employees also. Good. Good. Absolutely. And might I add, it's all about the way you sell the business and make it as smooth as a transition as possible. Um, employees don't have to know the business is for sale until it's sold. Correct. And once it's sold, the new, the new owner uh, has a staff meeting and gets that comfort level there with the staff, you know, letting them know that I'm not making any changes. It's not going to be a hostile work environment. I'm keeping everything exactly the way it is because it works. That's why I bought the business. And once that initial conversation takes place with the employees, then I think we're good. Right. And also we do a we usually do have something in writing that there's a transitionary period where the the owner of the business, the original owner, the right. seller, will stay on for a period of two weeks, some cases even more, to uh, facilitate a smooth transition of ownership. You okay. know? That would be also training 
the new buyer? Because I know, Paul, you were mentioning about an engineer buying a pizzeria. Mm-hmm. So the owner would stay on board during that transitional period Correct. and train Correct. on the aspects. Well, oh. that, that's a good deal. A lot of the times it's no cost to the buyer, uh, just good faith on the seller's part. Right. Um, in some cases, two weeks might not be enough of a training period, so they stay on for a longer term period. Correct. And uh, in a lot of cases, the attorney drafts some type of an employment agreement uh, just you know, to give an incentive to the buyer right. as well to make them feel more comfortable. So going to, if a buyer calls in and says, I want to buy a business, do you have to meet them? You know, I hear something out there called a con, uh, confidentiality agreement. You know, explain a little bit on that. Do they have to sign that or can I just blast out the address that you go take a drive by, take a look at it? What's the whole process with a buyer calling in? I'm interested in a restaurant. What are my steps? Well, uh, I think Joe and I could both agree on this. We have a fiduciary obligation to the seller. That's who we work for. Um, And one of the things we pride ourselves on is keeping the business completely 100% confidential. We we have a buyer profile agreement in a lot of cases when it comes to first-time buyers, uh, just to jot down some of their experience in the past, what type of money they're comfortable putting down. Absolutely. And um, once they've signed that confidentiality agreement, we know that we're protected, and most of all, the seller's protected as well. And um, you have to have that in place. Right. And, and also, it, uh, it benefits the buyer as well, because we, we basically have a better understanding idea of uh, what they're looking for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what their financial means are as far as purchasing a business, so we can better fit that buyer to one of our listings. And I think we have... Uh, here at locations, we have over 120 listings right now. So, uh, so we have a lot of businesses, and uh, it, it helps us better fit that buyer to the particular business in which we have for sale. Good. So uh, going to the business, I know you mentioned, Joe, you guys have over 100 different types of businesses. Correct. Some of these businesses would be what? I know we we were talking independent. Are they small to medium size? Are they larger projects? Um, franchises? Are we doing national, local franchises? Are they, um, you know, what are we talking as in size-wise, volume-wise? You can get um, into business as little as $20,000, $25,000, and I think, uh, you know, up to over $2 million. And everything in the middle. Uh, we have franchises, both local and national. Uh, we have independent businesses as well. It just depends on... Um, the demographics, location uh, for a potential buyer, uh, what he or she's experience is. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, Paul mentioned an engineer that called in regarding a, a pizzeria. I mean, if he was adamant about owning a pizzeria, I would highly suggest a franchise pizzeria. And when you get a franchise, you usually get a working model or formula. That, that, that if you follow this formula, you should be successful. So the system's in place. Mm-hmm. Correct. And the training as well. You know, you will get training from the uh, franchisor. And also the owner, with all of our listings, really, we kind of require them to stay on for a transitionary period. So even after the business is purchased, after they do the training with the franchisor, uh, they still have some hands-on training with the, uh, the, the old owner at the specific location which they're purchasing, which is very beneficial, especially for someone who has no experience in that particular business in which they're purchasing. Good, good. Paul, you? You know, I just want to add something. Uh, 
a lot of the times you get these first time buyers inquiring about a business listing. Like we'll use the uh, engineer on the pizzeria, for example. After my conversation with him, I started talking about different types of listings we had and he was more interested in a completely different type of business. So somebody coming about. in for a specific business may end up buying something totally different. Nine out of 10 times. They do. Yeah, they Nine out of 10 times. With, with a first time buyer, they really don't know what they're looking right. at. They know they have a lot of money sitting in the bank and they want to invest. Um, versus a seasoned buyer, they know specifically what they want and they know exactly within a matter of hours if this business makes sense for them. So the duty of a business broker would be to sit down with them and evaluate it and help them decide what uh, yeah, guide what them, to guide, guide them. them and what's Absolutely. best fit for them. Absolutely. Good deal. So let me, let's go to the seller calling you now. We know the buyer calls you, they come in, they sign a confidentiality agreement, they fill out a questionnaire, you get all their, their finances, how much they want it. The seller calls you and says, hey, Paul, Joe, I've got a business that I want to sell, but I have no clue where to start on evaluating this business. Um, is there a checklist that you guys ask for to, to have the seller put together? And then you get that, gather it, evaluate it, and then um, you kind of give them an idea where the business should be? What I like is to how we start? What I like to do is offer the sellers a free business valuation. And the way I'm able to do that, there is a checklist of things I look for. I look to go back three years on financials, business financials of the business, um, a P&L, which is a little bit more detailed with all their expenses, and a copy of their lease if they're leasing the property. Uh, that's very important to see how many more years they have left on the lease because uh, that's a good idea. Yeah, in good some point. cases, you know, if they have a few months left on the lease and the landlord's not renewing it, then is that business really sellable? Well, you know, it's not really. It's not right. Yeah, it's right. Difficult to sell for sure. sure. Yeah, I mean, you're going to buy equipment, and then the landlord's not going to correct give you a lease or anything. Yeah, you don't like want to waste. You don't want to spin a buyer's wheels and then come to the end of the deal and there's no lease in place. So once you get all that information, the, the financials and everything of that sort, is there a multiple that we go by? Is there a like a rule of thumb, a percentage that we can price out? What, what, what is a value of that business? Because I've owned businesses and my businesses were worth a million dollars to me, you know, and I'm sure a lot of sellers will say, you know, hard sweat and tears, sure. I want this much money. But I think it's your job to kind of educate the sellers on what the business should be priced at. Sure, absolutely. And, uh, you know, find a medium between the buyer and the seller on what the, 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 the listing and the selling price. The best way to answer that, there is a formula, there is a multiplier but every industry is different. Correct. You know, if you want to talk about a dry cleaners, uh, how old is the equipment? Is it five plus years old or is it five years or less old? That affects your multiplier. Right. Uh, in a lot of the cases, a dry cleaners is worth 75% of the gross sales, where a restaurant's rule of thumb is 35 to 40% of the gross sales. Right. So every business is different. So every industry is different. Every industry yeah, is every different. Industry. There's a different formula. Uh, if you're talking about manufacturing, you're talking about hundreds of thousand dollars in equipment that has value too. Absolutely. So you you have to add that in, and, and the age is a factor as well. Absolutely. And then obviously, um, correct me if I'm wrong. Goodwill, the customer base. Right? Goodwill. I think without customer base, um, you just got used equipment. You have the goodwill. There. You have the covenant not to compete. Uh, in some cases, you have liquor licenses, which have tremendous value. Sure. So there's different variables. Do you guys ever business. get a seller that you give them a uh, 
a price or an evaluation and they say, oh, no way, I want this much. How do you handle that? Where, where, where do we go from there? I always learn that you never give a seller a price on the spot because they might throw you out. You take all the information. It's a process. Absolutely. You take all the information that's given to you. Uh, you take it back to the office. You evaluate it. And you have a pretty good idea of what it's worth. Uh, but most of all, you know, this is what's going to be what a buyer is willing to pay. Correct. Uh, we know the trends of the market. We we monitor different uh, listings that we have. And, for example, pizzerias, we know what they sell for these days. Right. Uh, well, you could price something out for Two hundred fifty grand, but if it, in reality it's worth one hundred fifty, nobody's going to buy it. So it's our job to educate the seller, even if it means not getting the listing. We have to be completely honest with them. Right, and our goal is to get as much as we can for them and sell their business as quickly as possible. Like Paul said, uh, I usually like to bring uh, a couple of listings of businesses that we do have. Like Paul mentioned, pizzerias. We have several of those listed. I'll bring those listings with me. And that helps educate the sellers to what you know what other businesses of similar like values are, and that it helps them draws them into the direction that they need to be to sell their business. Great. What's the age group you guys are seeing? Are you seeing you know, like college kids after right out of out of college buying? Are you seeing um, middle age? Are they retirees? Who's buying businesses now? That's a good question. I, we are seeing a younger group. But that being said, we see a lot of people that are middle-aged that have just sold their business that they were in are looking to get in a different business as well. Um, a lot of ret- a lot of college-educated people as well are, are looking to get into businesses and get out of the corporate world. I've seen a lot of that. A yeah, lot. especially when we have the market, you know, yeah. downturn 2007 to 14. Yeah, I we, know there was probably a lot of people calling you guys up for different businesses, supplement their income. Especially with the auto industry. Uh, you know, I have one gentleman right now uh, that is in the auto industry. He's looking to transition out of it. He knows his shelf life is about to expire in that particular industry. And he's looking for a business that he can put his wife in for about a year or so, maybe three max, mm-hmm. and he'll transition out of what he's in and take over that business. So we're seeing that as well. Do you guys see a husband and wife team buying businesses together? Absolutely. I mean, is, that, uh, is that a good thing, a bad thing? What would you say? Well, you know, as some, a team, <laughs> so. some of our listings are <laughs> listed because of divorce. Divorces, so. yes. <laughs> I was going to say, that's probably a reason maybe why to get out of the business. But We see all types of buyers uh there's really no target age group. Um, young professionals that have been, you know, professionals for a couple of years, now they have a couple, maybe $100,000 in their bank account, and they're looking to make another move right. to supplement their income. Correct. So, and then you got the guy that's not ready to retire yet. He's pushing 65. He, he knows he's got, you know, a second breath of air in right. him. And a few more years, few more years left, not ready to retire. And, you know, he's looking for something to do short term, five years, maybe build it up and then sell it. So do they flip businesses like they used to flip houses? I mean, do, do people buy like distressed businesses Absolutely. and build them up and flip them? I mean, that, Absolutely. that may be a market on its own. We have we have buyers that are looking for that sweet spot, uh, sure. 25 to 50,000. And uh, they know exactly what to look for when they're buying the business. They negotiate a really good lease uh, long term. So when they're ready to sell it in two or three years, everything's in place. Everything's in place. Correct. They built, they doubled the business, and they're calling us back up to sell it, and they're making a profit. 
Good. Are you seeing parents helping kids out buying businesses? Yeah, oh, yeah. That, that, a- I would say absolutely. Yeah, we see a lot of parents. You know, some some parents, uh, they understand that they're, uh, you know, that their child uh, is not, uh, you know, I wouldn't say prepared for college, but colleges, they're not cut out for not, college right. or for a uh, white-collar job, et cetera. And uh, a business makes a lot more sense. And, uh, yeah, we see a lot of that as well. Good. You know, I've had, th- I've had this question asked me many times, and I'm sure it's come across your, your desk also. New rather than existing business. Should I build a new business or should I buy an existing business? I know we could probably spend hours talking on this topic. I'll let Joe go first on this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so uh, This is an easy one, and I know it, I'm a little biased because I'm a business broker, but hands down, hands down on existing business. Why? Why and should somebody the, the buy an existing? is the following. You're purchasing the business for the value of what it is. And what I mean by the value, you, we mentioned multiples. We use that to evaluate a business, and it's based simply on numbers and the value. I give you a prime example. You could buy, uh, and I won't name the franchise, but it's about three hundred five thousand for the build out alone. Okay. And this is just the build out, uh, lease in the building, et cetera. Not one customer coming through the door. The yet. first day, you know, the first hour, you might be doing zero. Right. You know, and you have no idea if it's going to be a ten thousand dollar a week store or a eleven hundred dollar a week store and it's completely possible either scenario when you buy an existing business you know what it's doing you know where it's at you know where it's cash flowing or not cash flowing and hopefully the business in which you're looking at you personally like paul mentioned uh you know like even a distressed business we get a we do get buyers that own location one location two looking for location so multiple three. locations so they it. find a distressed one they see the improvements they can make in it and they jump on it and it's Which a home sense. run it makes sense. now to do one from scratch yeah i mean it's it it's not cost effective at all right and what's the um the risk factor on that what is it one or 50 percent of them the first year um or in the within the first two they years say out of every three businesses that are opened Two of them will fail with before they reach their third year of being in business. Right. So that's what sixty-six plus percent failure, something like that. I mean, it's crazy. So the best bet is to buy an existing one. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, oh. always buy an existing business. I, it makes the most sense. Uh, some buyers don't like to see, you know, somebody else's failure become their failure. Uh, so I get that. Uh, but when you look at certain things as a seasoned buyer, um, is it owner-operated? Uh, what are their costs? For example, restaurant business. Your two biggest costs is the food cost and your labor. Correct. If you manage those two costs, it's hard to mess up that kind of business. It's hard to lose money. Um, well, a lot good of, product, too, obviously. You have to have yeah. good service, right. good product. Yes, that's a given. But your two biggest expenses in a restaurant business is your labor and your food costs. Correct. If you manage those, everything else will come back into line. Um, so back to buying an existing versus a new business. Existing, you're not going to have to do the construction costs, the build-out costs. Um, a gentleman, a client of mine right now, he has a 7,200-square-foot restaurant. It's an upscale restaurant. Uh, he opened it about a year and a half ago. 
He dropped $1.3 million into this build-out. It's beautiful, beautiful. Seats about 220 people. Uh, I have it for sale for 400000 with 200 down. And because of the confidentiality, we can't disclose We cannot. Uh, right. We cannot disclose, but if anyone's interested, you know, they could reach out to one of us. We'd be more than happy to talk to them a little bit more about it. But my point is, for a seasoned buyer, this would be a great opportunity. Maybe they're looking for that location three, like Joe was just talking about. And they have two successful full-service restaurants, and now they could get into this beautifully done uh, restaurant. Shows like new, everything's brand new in the kitchen for a fraction, for a of, the fraction cost. of the cost. What do you put into it? Exactly, and honestly, it's it's the way to go. Uh, you're limiting your risk at that point. Absolutely, right, right. And also, this one happens to be have a Class C liquor license too, which is a tremendous value. And it's very difficult to get a license of that nature in a new location. An existing location, not a big deal. It just transfers over. But that, that is a, a big, huge plus as well. It's a good thing you mentioned about that liquor license, Joe. Oh, the process on that, it, I heard four to six months. Is that still the case? And the process is going through the whole state, filling out paperwork. Correct. Do I need to get an attorney to help me on this? Is there fees involved? Um, I've heard... All, all angles, you know, on that. So, um, fill me in on that on that information. On what's the whole process of a liquor license transfer? So, the state of Michigan, we refer to it as the MLCC, Michigan Liquor Control Commission. Uh, through the years, they've perfected a way to make the process a lot easier. Uh, liquor licenses still do take four to five months to transfer, and it's probably the best thing to to call an attorney to help you with the process. I just had a closing last uh, in the last few days. It was a sports bar. Um, they decided to do a conditional liquor license. Conditional liquor license can be done in 20 business days. Okay. We're seeing them taking uh, about 30 to 40 calendar days to get approved. The MLCC will tell you th- uh, 20, 20 business days, but in reality, there's they're going to need There's a additional there too. They're going to need additional paperwork and in some cases holidays they're closed but um, it's a great process they could get in there immediately could do the closing they could take control of the business start selling alcohol once they're approved for this conditional so and explain the conditional so they they got approved they've already got the green light correct they have the green light it just hasn't transferred over to the the, 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 buyer. the actual license at this point is an escrow the original and license. Yes. Right. Yes. So, you know, you get the conditional done, like I said, within 30 days. Um, then, obviously, you're assigned an investigator, which has to come out and investigate you. Uh, they have to see where your money's coming from. Has it been in this account? Uh, they, they fingerprint ask, you. They fingerprint you. Yeah, get your background investigation. Absolutely. So. All no that's criminal records. Right. Yeah. Correct. No criminal records, no felonies. Um, and then. You know, it sits in front of a board, and then they vote on it, and you're approved. And then in, that's when the transfer, the actual liquor license transfer occurs. And like I said, it's taking about four to five months to do a transfer. But because of this conditional, everyone is doing it now. They Within a month, they're into the business. Right. That's good. That's yeah, and this is something not fairly new, but probably in the past when, couple of years that's really great. Um, the conditional license allows uh, the deal to go through. Uh and most importantly, it, it before this didn't exist, there was a thing called a manager's license, which was gave heavy, heavy risk on the original owner or seller. Uh, he was 
he or she was basically responsible for anything that happened there. The manager would. Correct, yeah. This relieves all that liability, and uh, the conditional license becomes the permanent license, and the original license is uh, just null and void. It's uh, Even though it's an escrow, it, it's uh, eliminated completely. And the conditional comes to permanent so speed license. up everything yeah. much quicker Absolutely. on that part. Here's the next big question. Owner-operated business or an absentee? I want to buy a business, but I'm happy what I'm doing. Is there such a such thing as an absentee-run business? Because I always hear, you know, when the cat's not around, the mice play. Is that true? Am I going to be worried about my employee stealing from me? Um, how do we track that? Is, is there, uh, I, I understand of a semi-absentee-run business, maybe, or a passive income business, but um, owner-operator versus absentee. Your thoughts? Again, like we were talking about valuating a business, every business is different. There's some businesses you could clearly be 100% absentee. Like, I'll give you an example, a quarter car wash. Um, 100% absentee, you don't have to be there. Yeah, oh, the equipment aren't going to call in sick or nothing. Exactly. Exactly, and you go there once a week, maybe twice a week, empty out the garbage cans, empty out the quarters, fill up the quarters, fill up the soap. Uh, very simple operation. But if you want to talk about uh, an absentee restaurant, uh, you're going to have a higher failure rate at that point because, again, when you're away, you know the mice right. play. Right. So. Yeah, and, and you know, and there is such thing as absentee-run restaurants, but uh, what, what do you find? Also, is uh, restaurants that are owner operated have definitely have a higher profit margin, uh, and that's because their food costs are, are lower, and and not to mention the help. But I think it's food costs as well as uh, there's less waste. Um, owner operator can avoid a problem before it even becomes a problem. Absentee run, not so much. So the the coin car wash. Be like an apartment building, maybe passive income, yes. where you're 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 generating income every year, but a cash flowing business, you could absolutely do more advertising, more marketing, different streams of avenues to increase the cash flow. Correct. I mean, no matter what you do with an apartment building or corn car wash, that income is going to be about the same. Absolutely, you, you can't more or less. Yeah, more or less. So right. passive income uh, versus the uh, the cash flowing one. Um, right. Definitely, you can uh, add yeah, more to I it. I wouldn't rely on a quarter car wash for your main supply of income. That'd be yeah. secondary. It's secondary. Or supplement. pa- yeah, it. Supplemental income. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, unless you had six, eight, nine of them, which is possible too, as well. Um, another business comes to mind is uh, self storage. Yeah. That, that can be a, a absentee run. You know, you just need a couple of managers in place. Right. And then once you get everything rented up and rolling, it's a pretty smooth operation. It's a shell, you know, so it probably would be really good. A coin laundromat's another one. But, you know, I've sold a coin laundromat. Those absentee run. The new owner went in there, and he's there like four days a week. And he increased, uh, uh, it's called Fluff and Fold. He got a lot of commercial accounts. I mean, he literally doubled the business in that place. Good, good. Owner-operated. You know, but still four days commercial work. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and he uh, loves it. Pick up a you delivery know, service Older gentleman, he, he loves it. He gives them, you know, it gets them out of the house, gets them something to do, and he doubled the business as well. So there's, you know, there's a lot of variables. It depends on, like Paul said, the type of business it is yeah. and how much you want to do. Good. Internet. Good thing, bad thing, doing your due diligence with the Internet. Beneficial. You know, you're not going to see the 
whole picture when you're doing your due diligence on the internet because Correct. every single article there is biased, I'd say, a lot of times. So the best thing to do is talk to a professional. You know, are you going to try to self-diagnose yourself if you're feeling sick or are you going to go to a, a physician? Right. Are you going to try to uh, represent yourself in court or are you going to hire an attorney? So when you're buying a business and you want to buy the right business, talk to a business broker. Well, let's face it. We all turn to Google. Google this, Google that. You know, I want to buy a hamburger restaurant or something. I'm, I'm Googling it. What, what kind of information I can get? It's free. You know, I, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's a good way to begin your homework. But but even, for instance, Paul was just mentioned he, he closed on this uh, th- this uh, a bar that he had. He just closed. It was it this week or last week? It was it was this past Monday, the 27th of November. And even though we had it in Im- the inventory, I personally went and looked at it, and I was blown away at what a really nice, beautiful place it was. It was well-priced. I mean, the, the value was there. It was exceptional. And there's no way you're going to see that on the internet. Yeah, so first-hand, go... It's like a, the, the the car salesman, you know, sit in the car, smell the new leather, take it for a test drive. I mean, you want to take ownership of that business. Absolutely. So um, what should buyers do before talking to a business broker? Is there something a buyer should be prepared for before calling a business broker? Should they do some uh, a checklist on their own, maybe check their finances, make sure they're in line? You know, can they afford the business, uh, what their time frame is? What do you guys think on that? Well, it... it that's a very good point. But also, they have to understand that uh, purchasing a business, it's really a lifestyle change. It really is. And they have to ask him or herself what they want out of the business, why they're looking to purchase a business, how much they're willing to put into the business itself, where it's located is a big factor as well. And uh, I, I think those are all important questions to ask yourself as a buyer. Why do I want to buy a business? What am I looking to get out of the business? I mean, we're all looking for cash flow and making a living out of it. But, you know, sometimes it's more than that. Like I said, uh, the gentleman that bought the uh, coin laundromat, who's uh, probably in his Mm mid-60s, retired, he just got bored being at home, and he wanted to do something to get out of the house, but he wanted to be productive. But, you know, he didn't want to work 60 hours a week either. And you have to ask yourself that question, too. I mean, there's some businesses where they're very labor-intense, you know, or hour-intense, and there's some that are, are less hour-intense. I'm also going to add to this question. So, you know, you, you typically have your corporate America employees, and a lot of the times they get burned out of that, uh, traveling, constant traveling, trying to raise a family, trying to see your children. But every other week you're on a flight, a red-eye flight, trying to get to the next meeting. And after a while, you get burned out. Sure. Um, you're making the company millions, but you're getting thousands of dollars. And uh, why put in that kind of effort for someone else when you could do it for yourself? Be your own boss. Absolutely. You know, financial freedom and make your own hours. Um, that's the American dream. That's the American dream. You know, it's, it's, Owning your own yeah. business. Absolutely. Okay. What about, uh, let's, we, we really concentrate on buyers. What about selling, selling a business? I have a business I want to sell. What do I need to do? Is there documents I need to put together for the broker? Um, do the equipment all have to be working? Is it under a warranty? 
Um, what needs to be done for the selling side now? Like we were saying before in this uh, in this t- um, radio we'll talk, yeah. talk uh, the first thing I look for is tax returns. Uh, I want to see three years. Okay. I want to see a lease. Uh, once they commit to uh, the listing mm-hmm. for six months, we like doing an exclusive listing where we're the only broker. Um, I like to see an equipment list. I like to see whatever uh, the business includes, you know, a good asset right. so list. Should we get, like, food costs together? Should we put utility bills together? Is that something early on, or is that when somebody puts an offer down? The, the more information you receive at the beginning of a listing, the easier it will be to sell that business. Correct. Because a buyer is always going to ask for certain items, and if we already have them, then they're not going to have a lot of questions, and it's going to make the buying process a lot easier. Right. Yeah, they want to see financials, which is normal. But most importantly, as Paul stated, uh, it's not so much about financials. They want to see uh, what the actual cost is involved of running and operating a business. Profit and loss statement will do that. And they want to see how the business itself is trending. And what I mean by that is they'll look year-to-year sales, like Paul mentioned, three years, and they'll see – the sales for those three years is are the sales going up? Are they going down? Are they flatlined? And by doing that, it makes it gives them a, a better process of making a decision by looking at uh, to see how the business is trending. If it's up or down, or if, even if it's flatlined, you know it depends. It's always easier to buy a business when it's trending up versus trending down. For sure, correct. But then again, it depends on that buyer. If I'm that you know guy that's looking to flip the business. I want that business that's suffering, absolutely. <laughs> but if I'm a guy that's afraid, very low risk, I want a business that's making money. Correct. And I'll pay top dollar for that business right, right. because that's why I'm buying it. It's not so much top dollar. You mentioned your that engineering, the buyer to call it's an engineer. He, you know, he's looking at pizza. He wants something that's cash flowing and making money and not distressed. But you know. also, is he changing his career? Is he leaving his profession to, to run the pizzeria? He's a six-figure guy when we were talking, so he doesn't plan on flipping pizzas himself. Just uh, manage. But again, I, I had to take him down to reality. Um, just because it's cash flowing now doesn't mean it's going to continue to cash flow if you purchased it. Because if you don't know the business and if you're looking to run it absentee, that cash flow will go away very quickly. And, you know, at the end of the day, we want to make sure we find the right fit for the right buyer. Sure. Right. Um, Absolutely. You know, that's how we grow our business. Our business is re- based on referrals, uh, good service, and just honesty. Well, you want the buyer to call you back. To, uh, yeah. You want that call that says, hey, I want to buy a second business or Absolutely. I'm referring it rather than what did I buy? I want to put this back on the market and get rid of it. It's funny, so, that, it's funny that you mentioned that, Armin. Uh, today I got a call from uh, a buyer that's purchased two dry cleaners from me. Uh, he said, uh, I want to buy my next business from you, and I'm ready. So, you know, I love hearing that. I love oh, yeah, repeat yeah, business. It absolutely. makes me feel really good. He's doing very good in his dry absolutely. cleaning business, and he's looking to grow. And we're talking within the last two years, this will be his third purchase. Yeah. Right. That's incredible. That is good. Awesome. I love hearing that. Aggressively growing. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that, that's absolutely. good. And, again, you know, that's what you're in the business to do is help people, you know, get their family from this position to the next position, you know, and help right. themselves. So, Absolutely. So really good. Um, biggest mistake in buying a business, would you say? The, biggest, would, the mistake, biggest mistake would be? The biggest mistake buying a business is buyers don't realize the demand. 
the sacrifices you need to make to operate a business. A lot of times they think, oh, it's my business. I could purchase it. I'll work 10 hours a week. And that's it. And that's not the case. Right. right. It's never the case. If you want to be successful, you got to know your business. you got to be willing to roll up your sleeves, get in there. Um, my father always told me, don't tell somebody to do something that you're not willing to do. That's right. Um, in the restaurant business, if you got to go clean a toilet because it's overflowing, you do it. If you got to get on the line and start making food, you do it. And, um, you know, you got to put in the work. You really got to put the in bottom, the work. from the bottom, work your way up. Absolutely. Right? That's, that's the way. Uh, Absolutely. Joe, any input? Um, you do eliminate some risk by buying an existing business. I know mm-hmm. we're back to that again. But um, usually, uh, like we said, the, the national average within the first three years, one, two out two of thirds. three business mm-hmm. fail. So if you buy a business that's been in business for longer than that, or even the three years, at least you know where you're at. And then that person did all the sacrifice. Okay, so this goes back to buyers do your due diligence. Probably can't really hit that home hard enough, you know. Do your due diligence. If you, um, you know, you can't understand reading financials, probably hire a CPA, correct? That's what you would want to do. Or you get into the legal documentation, hire an attorney. Absolutely. That's what they're there for. So um, buyers should definitely, you know, bring a team together of maybe professionals, that uh, you know that they can work with, or somebody in their family that's already bought businesses and knows um, somewhat, you know, the the procedure. Correct. Or if they're buying a restaurant, you know, somebody that's been in the business to guide them. Absolutely. You know so definitely, Absolutely. buyers, um, you know, go in, do your homework, get all your well, uh, due diligence done. One of the ways they can do their due diligence as well is to actually stand in a store, which I think is great. On a, you know, I, but it, me being a seller, I would never let a buyer stand in the store. When does that happen? Does that happen? It, it's usually before or? when an offer's been accepted. Okay, so and, so he shows him that he's serious, right? And uh, you know, there's good faith deposit. Right. Uh, there's an agreed purchase price that's been signed by both, both buyer and seller. And uh, on top of looking at books and records, he or she may want to stand in the store to verify gross sales. Now, this can work counterintuitively too it can backfire but it can also help sell your business i remember the first business ever sold in my life was coney island maple and crooks and uh the gentleman that was selling was a salty individual yeah (laughs) and uh my buyers were young guys there were three young guys they were like in their early 20s they did have a a restaurant experience they all worked in coney island since they were 15 so that was a big plus for sure but uh his books were not as accurate as I would have liked them to be in order to sell the business. So the uh, the seller said, no problem. Have him come and stand in the store for two weeks. I'll show him what the, this thing does. And, you know, three days later, I got a call saying, Joe, we're ready to close. We're done with our due diligence. So it expediated the process, and, you know, it actually won the buyers over, so to speak, and to say, hey, this thing's a gold. Well, it goes back to the the car salesman, you know. He wants you to feel it, you know, and smell it and touch it. It's the same thing with a business. You go in there or buying a house, you know, you go, you check it all out, and I I think that emotional um, level comes in, too. Absolutely. So that works right with the business. You know, not necessarily standing in the business. That's not the only way to do your due diligence. If you have accurate tax returns, that's the gold standard. That's a good way Absolutely. to do your due diligence. Um, maybe sitting out in the parking lot, watching traffic flow. That's another good way of uh, mm-hmm. doing your due diligence. Uh, 
you know, end of the day cash register receipts also help right. out a lot. So you go in there at the end of the day, meet with the seller, he shows you what he ring up for the day. So there's a lot of good ways to do due diligence. Um, you know, for example, a laundromat. Um, what's a good indicator of your laundromat doing well? The water bill. We know that. Yeah. So we know that. Yeah. More, we know more that. Water Absolutely. Used. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. So there's different things to look for, and part of our job as professionals, as business brokers, is giving the buyers some advice and some tips on what to look for. Absolutely. Well. Has it ever backfired though? A buyer goes and does his due diligence in store and says, "You know what? I want to buy this restaurant, but I see there's way too much work involved." Has that ever backfired where they say, you know what, I'm out. It's just way too much than what I expected. That goes back to the first-time buyer versus the seasoned buyer. Correct. Uh, seasoned buyer will know what he's getting into. Exactly. Absolutely. The first-time buyer, you have to educate them day one. Look, this is a full-service restaurant. Right. You're going to put in those 12, 14, 15-hour days. You're going to have to roll your sleeves up. You're going to have to run that dishwasher. Right. Right. So we, we let them know in the beginning. That way we're not getting to the end of the finish line. And the deal's dying for the wrong reason. Right. But but it does happen, Armin. I agree. Like Paul mentioned restaurants. You know, I had one deal where uh, it, it was a very profitable restaurant, but his rush hours were crushing, to say the least. And you really had to be on your game. And uh, the soon-to-be new owner was there doing her due diligence, and she was overwhelmed just with breakfast alone. I mean, I could see that happen. And, and you know, work. it all worked out okay. I mean, we did end up selling it to a different buyer. Uh, the seller was wise enough to sense that this too much for is her. getting over, right, way over her head. Yeah. You know, and he says, you know, this isn't for you in a nice way. You know, right. we and she agreed totally, and we got her something else that she was more comfortable with, and we got a much more suited buyer in there as well. That uh. You know, he relished the fact that they had these crush like breakfast rush were just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, lunch too. You, you know? know, it's um we were talking earlier in the hour that we talked about isn't it ninety percent of the buyers end up buying something totally different than what they came in? Yeah. Absolutely. So they come in for a pizzeria, they end up buying a dry cleaner, a dry cleaner ends up buying a gas station or something. I had a gentleman come in for a hair salon, he ended up buying a dry cleaners. Yeah. I mean, it's it all depends, you know. Yeah. Right. Well, depends. you know, if it excites you, I mean, I, I could see you'll put 110% into what you do. And Absolutely. That's what you Absolutely. Want. Being, a, being a seller, you want this guy to be excited. You, you know, have to be passionate about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. If you're passionate about it, it, it makes things, and, and you guys know that too, what we do for a living, we're, we're passionate about what we do. For we sure. enjoy it. As, as much as we like to sell a business and get that commission check, a lot of times, well, I shouldn't say a lot of times, but a few of the times, I'm talking buyers out of buying the business because I could see failure down the road, you know, just yeah. by sitting down, talking to them, uh, listening to their expectations, right. and right. it's not realistic. So I let them know then and there, this is not realistic. This is probably not the right thing for you. Stick with what you're doing now. Uh, I don't want to see you lose your investment. Right, right. Um, you don't want them calling you in six months saying, this was the biggest right. mistake I made. Absolutely not. Business, so. Absolutely not. So Good, um, good. Yeah. All right, next big question, and I hear this a lot out there. Bank financing versus seller financing. Does it work like a house? Can I just walk into the bank and say, I want to buy this business. Let's, uh, let me fill out the application and everything. What do you guys recommend? Um, I do see a lot going on out there on your websites that you guys have, you know, seller financing. Seller will be my personal banker. Correct. I give a downstroke. How much on the downstroke do I need to put down? What's the interest rate? What's the amortization, the terms? 
explain a little bit on that. So bank financing versus seller financing. Uh, a lot of the times the businesses that we're listing are not bank financeable. The why? reason why they're not being financeable is because of the financials. Okay. They're not, you know, that they're not making money. They're not making money. Just not, um, they're not just not, um, not organized enough for the bank. It's to, all the above. All the above. Okay. Uh, a lot of the times you run into these businesses where they're expensing a lot Correct. and their bottom line is a loss. Okay. And there's uh, nothing wrong or break even or break even. Okay. And you know, these, these banks look at the, the books and they say, we're sorry, we cannot, you know, do a loan on this business. Right. They look at the bottom line. It can't support the debt service. So they want it to support the debt service Absolutely. and the owner making some Absolutely. kind of a living out of it. Yes. Um, if it's a business that the seller believes in, a lot of times he'll do seller financing. Correct. Because he knows that it's making money. And, and that's a good thing. It. Absolutely. And if he's doing seller financing, he has confidence in his business that it's going to make it. Sure. And it also instills confidence. It, it, you, it also instills confidence in the buyer as well, saying, hey, this individual is so confident about his or her business selling it to me that he feels that not only I should be able to make a profit, but I also should be able to fulfill my financial obligations to him, his monthly payments, et cetera. Absolutely. You know, we see a lot of these uh, businesses that they're just not being financeable, but there's a few of them out Correct. there that are. Right. And up until the last two years, SBA loans have been going through the roof. Um, banks are starting to lend money now. They're loosening right. their belts a little bit. They're loosening right. their belts a so lot. That's good. That's and, really good. And nothing I mean, like it was seven years ago. Absolutely. I've done uh, a few deals with SBA loans. I know we got some right now so that are that are waiting to be closed on. So it's an easy process. It's a longer process, but you know, once you get through the the, the commitment part and the deal starts coming together and you know, it's a what, no-brainer. What would be the seller financing interest rate? Is it? It's not the same as a bank because we know the bank plays with millions and millions of dollars. And here we got a seller that has his retired income. You know, probably wants to make a little bit of income on his money using his money. What would be your typical seller financing uh, interest rate? Oh, Joe, take this one. It's uh, right now. It's right around seven percent interest. Okay, seller financing, and um, it's, it's and that's just out there. But it's pretty much what the buyer and the seller agree to. Obviously. Correct. Correct. Yep. The good thing about seller financing, too, it's usually a fixed rate for a fixed number of years. Correct. But there's no prepayment penalty. They so pay it off at any time. Absolutely. Any no. time. Good. Absolutely. Good. Where a bank, you know, SBA loans, usually they have a three-year period before you could pay it off. Any um, any qualifications with seller financing? or? Yeah. Yeah, there is. I mean, most sellers would like to see a, a Credit report, mm -hmm. you know, um, would like to see a financial statement from from the buyer, and uh, and also, uh, you know, they kind of get a feel for the individual as well. Sure, see you if know, they they're they're comfortable. Yeah. Has sellers ever said that the buyer doesn't qualify during the due diligence, like saying, you know what, I don't think this guy's going to be able. To, and if I got interest in the business and he owes it to me, I don't see this buyer making it. The seller that's passionate about their business and wants to see the next guy survive. We'll be very honest. He will. Uh, it's yeah, happened yeah. to me a right. couple times where, you know, the sellers contacted me and said, Paul, this guy's just not getting it. I don't think he's going to make it. Um, I've talked to him already. I think you should talk to him honesty. as well. Sure. And, you know, that's the kind of seller you want as well, not just somebody looking to get out and run away. Absolutely. You know, somebody that's going to be very honest with the buyer and save them heartache and grief down the road. Because the last thing a seller wants to do 
is get back and in, get into a situation where he has to take the business back from the buyer. Precisely. And, and one of the reasons why he's selling it or he she's selling it is not only to a you know recoup some on their investment, but they want to see their business go on. I mean, most sellers, buyers, excuse me, keep the name of the business. Sure. And they want to see the the business flourish and move forward. There's yeah. value to, to the name. Yeah, you know, absolutely. It, you know, especially mm-hmm. if it's been there a while. We've got a couple more minutes. Let's wind it down with uh, any business better than the other, would you say? Um, it's all preference. It's all so preference. So whatever your, yes. your your heart starts beating on, that would probably be the best way yeah, your heart Whatever you, know. you have a passion for and, and what you think you'd enjoy doing is you know, is the direction you should go in. Because it makes it, you know, owning a business is, uh, it's like Paul said, it, it, it's time, it's commitment, it's sacrifice, and it makes it a lot easier if you are if you enjoy the business in which you're purchasing. Yeah, you I, I agree with Joe. you got to be passionate about what you're doing, but we also have buyers that don't care about that. They just want the, what's the bottom line? The bottom How much line. am I going to make? Right. And uh, that's that drives people as well. Absolutely. You know, I'll, I'll buy a flower shop if I'm making 300 grand a year. No yeah. problem. Yeah, we, right. we do get that too. Absolutely. Right. And then, and, and then they call you back too if, if they sell it or for whatever reason it, mm-hmm. it is. Absolutely. Um, very good. Uh, the market in Michigan's been great. Great. Right. Um, yeah, it's been, I mean, record breaking years I hear for the last couple of years. Every Everything's year. Everything's been yeah, going you know, really I, good. I haven't, I've been doing this since 2000. I haven't had a slow year since 2005. Yeah, I mean, I could see it's it been being great. you're selling a livelihood. Mm-hmm. I, I, oh. I don't see it ever slowing down. Is there, really quick, is there, a, there's a niche out there. Um, do you see other people, more brokers getting into it? Because real estate, residential, you see everybody wants to do that. So I recently joined a, uh, a networking group, and we have a real estate agent. She's probably the top 1% in the state of Michigan. She actually called me personally and said, I want you to be a part of my group. I think you'd be a great fit. Right. Uh, as great as I am at selling homes, I don't know the first thing about selling a yeah, business. Yeah, it's a totally different and, uh, game out and there. And I completely feel the same way because when you're selling someone a business, they trust you. They trust you. Yep, and absolutely. The, the next thing is, and I've been approached many times, could you help me sell my house or help me buy a house? And the, the first thing I say to them is, I'll be doing you a disservice because I don't sell homes but I can refer you to a real estate agent. So, you know, in a way, we expect the same from real estate residential agents. They call us. Right. They refer the business to us. We handle it. We give them a referral fee. Right. And they enjoy it because they hand it off someone into good hands where, you know, they won't be embarrassed. We won't drop the ball. And as Paul said, you know, I have several relationships with several uh, residential agents and you know they love it. You know they yeah. get you know they get thumbs up from uh, the person that they referred to Great. me, and uh, you know the deal happens. Everyone's happy. Great. Well, Joe Paul, thank you so much. I'm Armin Nazarian on BizBuys on New Radio Media over at Locations. Give us a call. Thanks so much. Oh, thank you.